we are looking at the ability that God gives us to overcome those things that well up within us and begin to control us, begin to try and uh, uh, take over our life, and in many cases they do. They become the boss of us, whether we acknowledge it or not, um, whether we uh, are aware of it or not, it affects our decision-making, it affects our moods, our reactions to other people, and we need to, Jesus wanted us to become aware of that. In fact, uh, that, that is what he uh, spoke of more often to the Pharisees, um, that it is not the outward things that defile us, but it is those things that sneak up from within us. It is the things that, that well up from our own heart um, that uh, ensnare us, trip us up, and capture us when we're not even aware of it. And so we've looked at, at things like guilt. Um, we've looked at, at envy and jealousy and greed. We've looked at anger and all of these things show up in, in lots of different ways and, and many times we attribute them to other things, other people. It's that fault. It's because of what happened. And yet Jesus says, no, it's because of what's in you. And so we are trying to come to that place where we say, Holy Spirit, show me what is working inside of my heart so that I can say you are not going to be the boss of me. And that's what we're talking about, that we have got to become aware of, of these things that we need to step up and say, you're not going to be the boss of me. I'm not going to live my life based on these things, no matter how much my heart uh, is pulled towards those things. And many of those things um, are hard uh, to overcome because they are pleasurable. They are things that, that we feed upon. And so we kind of see them as things, well, well, I don't need to get rid of that. It's a good thing, and, and it feels good, so why should I walk away with, from that? And yet Jesus tries to show us that, that it is a deception, that these things that we cling on to, although they seem to be good in the short run, that they are leading us to a destination that we don't want to find ourselves in. They, they lead us to places of regret that, that the short term is never worth what you pay for in the long term. And we've got to begin uh, to open our eyes to that. So today we're going to look at one that probably is less on that part. It, it is not always a pleasurable thing. It's not one of the things that we have a heart, but yet we still find very difficult to break free from. And it is, again, one of the, the core uh, things that have affected us from the very beginning of creation. And we see that all of these, these four things that we've been talking about are core outcomes uh, from our broken, sinful nature. And, and they all branch into the myriad of other emotions that we deal with, but these are the core uh, ones that they all come out of. And so today we are looking at fear. Um, unlike the other ones, fear is never pleasurable. Um, fear is never something that people want to stay in. Um, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the others, we can justify it and I can stay in it and I'll take care of it later. Um, but yet fear is something that, even though it is not pleasurable and we don't desire it 
And yet it probably holds us tighter than any of the others. Because it is still, even though we don't want it, um, we cannot break the chains uh, of fear. And so we're going to look at this because throughout the Bible, you will notice more than any other statement throughout the Bible, the most repeated statement is these three words. Do not fear. Why did God say that so many times through angels, through prophets, through God himself, over and over we hear these words, do not fear. So many times we hear uh, a passage start off with these words, do not fear. Because God knows that fear is such an enemy of our heart that yet it dwells within our brokenness. And so today we're going to just look through the life of Jesus and, and kind of just get some uh, examples because, again, Jesus said more than anything, do not fear. And yet how many hate that when you're in the middle of that, when someone says, just don't be afraid. Just don't fear. Wow, that sounds really good for you to say that, right? But it's like that is so easy to say, but it just it doesn't work that way. And yet, why does God say that over and over and over? Because God never says it without backing it up with his action in our life. Even when he says, do not fear, I don't think he ever expects us to break through that, but he is letting us know that I'm going to give you the ability to break that boss in your life. And um, uh, so let's look at some stories, uh, some times and, and examples of how Jesus tries to show us ways to break this control of fear. And it's not easy. And it is probably always going to be a process um, uh, until maybe sometimes there are these aha moments uh, that just break it. But even then, it does not mean that it'll never come back again. But God wants us to enter into that process. I think that's the biggest thing is, is when we don't enter into that process, we can never experience that freedom. Um, so we come to a story where Jesus is working with his disciples and uh, they've been uh, uh, teaching and working with all the people. And it says at the end of a long day in Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Okay, they're fishermen and they, they're living most of their life on boats. Um, it says, So they, when they had left the multitude, they took him, Jesus, along in the boat as he was. And other little boats also were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling up. Now understand, this is not a huge boat. 
I mean, it's not a little rowboat, but it, it's, it's a fishing boat. Um, uh, I don't know if you've ever been out uh, on boats. There's, there's a big difference between the big boats, the, the, the cruise liners, and, and then you can slowly go down from there um, uh, to where, uh, you know, we went on a whale-watching uh, uh, trip, and it was like a fishing boat, but I mean, it was not a, I mean, it was a pretty big boat, uh, but even for that big boat uh, with, with lots of people on it, um, the waves and the sea, and it was not even in a storm, and yet um, there was sickness and all the stuff that goes on it, let alone thinking of being in a storm um, where the wind is uh, whipping and, and here's the one thing, we kind of read this story and, and the, here's the biggest thing I think, we read it in the quietness of our situation. I want you to imagine when you're reading this story, first of all, um, it is loud. If you've ever been out in a storm, wind is loud. Let alone wind, there is water that is smashing against the boat. Uh, mist in the air. Um, so we are not just talking like the, these disciples are, are just uh, within this uh, uh, little uh, pocket of what's going on. It's loud. It is wet. Uh, they are uh, possibly, some of them, most of them probably didn't get seasick. They've been on the, the sea all their life. But we are talking a chaotic situation. And not only that, the boat's going down, it's filling with water. They cannot bail out quick enough. But it says, he, Jesus, was in the stern, in the back of the boat, asleep on a pillow. How? I don't know. Now that's one of the, uh, as Andy Stanley um, uh, talks about this, and uh, which we're taking this from the study of Andy Stanley's, uh, you know, he, he says, and, and I kind of believe, I think Jesus was just pretending. There's no way he's going to be asleep in that storm. I mean, even if you're not afraid, I mean, that's hard to sleep through. But I think he's just like with one eye watching the rest of them, right? Kind of knowing what's going on. He's laying back there on the pillow, it says, uh, asleep. And they said to him, and again, they said to him, some of us, we think, it, we kind of do this, Jesus, you might want to wake up right now right? You got to understand, they're not just going and, and gently waking. You can't even hear each other. So they are yelling. So you can have to imagine in a storm, in the gale, they're saying, Jesus, wake up. They can't even talk to each other. Go get him. Can you imagine? I think we have to begin to understand the intensity of this, which many times we don't get when we read this. So they are yelling at Jesus to wake up. They are screaming just for him to hear. And finally, it says he arose. He finally got up as they yelled at him, don't you care about us, Jesus? He got up, and it says he just got up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. Now, I don't think he yelled. Everyone else is yelling. Everyone else is scrambling, trying to hold, just walk through the boat, even to get back to the back, stumbling, falling. Jesus, I think, just got up with a clear, easy voice, said, peace be still. And it says, immediately, 
the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. More than the calm of the sea, I think the biggest thing, again, is it became quiet. All of a sudden, the roar is gone. The pounding of the waves are gone. At a word from Jesus, it's gone. It doesn't say, but who knows if Jesus spoke it and all the water was out of the boat. Because understand, it was already going down. They said it was already filled to the place where it was sinking. And yet, they don't even mention that part that immediately they're fine. In the middle of that, he said to them, again, why are you so afraid? And again, that, that, that question are you kidding me? Why are we afraid? He said, how is it that you have no faith? Now remember, we've spent a long series talking about faith. And remember, we talked about faith being something more than just believing. It is not, he's not saying, why didn't you just believe? Remember, we talked about faith being more of a, a relationship, a knowledge. Uh, it is a, a trust and an understanding that is based on, on something that is founded and secure in your life. So in other words, he's saying, what, what were you founding your life upon? Did you forget who you know? Do you have no relationship with me? See, that's what he's really saying. He sa he's saying, did you not know I was in the boat with you? He was not saying, didn't you believe that God can do all things? They would have said, yes, we have faith. But you see, faith is different in that sense than a relationship. So Jesus is really saying, did you forget your relationship with me? And here's what happened. And here's the key verse right here and they now isn't this weird and they feared exceedingly and they said to one another who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him here is the key principle they were afraid in the storm they were afraid what were they afraid we're gonna die we're gonna drown that's what they were afraid. They were afraid, but now it says they feared exceedingly. All of a sudden, you, you, might, you would have think that the answer would have been, and they felt relief, right? It doesn't say they breathed relief oh, and sat back. It said they were more afraid now than they had even been afraid before. Why would they be more afraid? Because here's the thing. It was... They came into a connection with one that was greater than the power of the storm. And here's our first principle you need to understand. Fear is always driven away by a greater fear. All of a sudden, they forgot their fear of the storm. Now they had the fear of a man who, with his word, could speak and waves stop and winds and what waves and everything obeys him. If this person in front of them could speak and control them, and, and now he rebukes you because you don't know, what does it mean that he could do to you? 
And this greater fear drove away even the memory of the prior fear. And so we need to understand now, and, and this is a good thing, we need to understand that when we are in fear, only something greater than the fear can drive it away. Because this is the nature of fear. Fear grips us. Fear cannot be broken by your choice. Fear is not controllable. As humans, it is, it is just a nature of sin. And we know that we can't control sin. It is not by our choice. We are sinners. We cannot, well, I'm just going to stop being a sinner. You're, Jesus, you're right. I think it would be better to just be a, a, a better person. That's great, but we can't do that. He gave them the law, and for hundreds of years they've been trying to follow the law, and they can't do it. We cannot do it. There must be a greater fear that comes in and controls us to take over that fear. So we need to look at what is fear then. Now here's the thing. Fear actually exists because of the greatest gift that God has given us. You see, fear is a, remember, nothing bad was ever created by Satan or by our sin. Sin, Satan, the demons cannot create anything. All they can do is twist what God has already created. There is nothing in this world that in and of itself was created bad. It is only a twisting of what was good. And fear is the same thing. It is a twisting of what God has given us that is good. Because fear... Fear is confidence, okay? The reason you're afraid, because you're confident of something, right? You know something's going to happen, and that is troubling. It is confidence in a knowledge that is projected into the future, and it is based on current or past experience. In other words, we have the ability to imagine. This is a great gift that God has given us. You have the ability to imagine. It's that same gift that allows you to dream, to, to, to think of things that you can accomplish. God has given you that because he has given you potential to be awesome people. But that ability to take knowledge and to project that knowledge into the future. In other words, I have knowledge of, of I know what I can do. I know what's happening around me. I have an experience of what's going. I can take these bits of knowledge, and I can project them in the future. And you see, fear takes those and it becomes confident that something bad is going to happen. I look around me, they looked around, they saw the winds, they saw the waves, they had experience that when waves come in the boat, the boat goes down, and I've had experience with people, if the people are in the middle of the ocean and they go down, they can't last that long, you can only tread water for a while, they drown. So they project all of those things, we project it forward, and it becomes fear. But at the same time, this is the same ability that is able to take knowledge and to be confident based on knowledge that I have based on my current or my past experience. And it's the very same essence of hope. The way you can hope is the same way that you can fear. Because you can take the same knowledge and base it on what you are confident of my experience, and I can look forward, and I can see that something good is going to happen. And so we need a greater knowledge to allow us to turn fear into hope. It is simply a greater knowledge uh, to project 
forward. And so they began to know someone greater. And because of their knowledge of what they had just experienced, when they saw Jesus do that, that gave them a new knowledge. And they became confident that this man could do very great things to them. And so their fear shifted from their old knowledge to their new knowledge of Jesus. Okay? You tracking me? And so all of a sudden they weren't a fear of the storm, afraid of fear. How many are feared? I'm a feared. But they weren't afraid of the storm anymore because of their knowledge of Jesus. So you would have thought that that would solve it, right? They now know Jesus. Um, and this is one of the three or, only three or four times that the disciples were really afraid. And we're going to look at the, the, these times. So everything's good. And they move on with the ministry. But here's what Jesus taught them on that same uh, concept. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. This is what Jesus said. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. See, Jesus taught the same principle. You're afraid of everything on earth, but there's something bigger you need to be afraid of. You need to understand that God has more power over your life than your friends. You're afraid of what your friends are going to think of you, that you might do that. You better be afraid of what God thinks of you. See, we need to stop fearing the lesser fears and begin to understand that there is a greater fear. Now, we're going to talk about that fear. God doesn't want us just walking around in terror of him. Um, but yet we do know throughout the Bible, it says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Um, there is a fear of God that, that leads us to righteousness. There's a fear of God which is life to our bones. Um, but we're going to see the fear of God begins to become different than the fear of the world. Um, but this is where we need to start. We need to ask ourselves, whatever we are dealing with what are we afraid of and then we need to ask ourselves how does God relate to that have I developed within me a greater fear of God than all those other things afraid of not being able to make the team afraid of not being able to ever do this again how about asking are we afraid that God is going to say your life was a failure you didn't make it you didn't know me Jesus said at the end he'll say to those I never knew you that's what we need to start to begin to be afraid of so we move forward and um, uh, we come to the point another great story we know the the story that Jesus had all the people they had been listening to him all day they were tired and one of the disciples said Jesus these, these we don't have time it's too late now to send them home and they're all hungry and we know the story that Jesus said, well, then go feed them. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. You know, we don't have that much money. We can't even get that much food. So Jesus said, well, just feed them with what you've got. And we know the story that, that they took the one lunch uh, of, of a couple loaves and some fish. And Jesus prayed over it and they handed it out. And thousands of people, uh, we, we know 5,000, but it was more than 5,000 because that's just men children and wives and everyone they all ate on this great miracle and in mark chapter 6 we've moved forward it says now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men so probably maybe double that people maybe 10,000 people ate one lunch that is amazing that is an amazing miracle 
And it says in the very next verse, And immediately he made his disciples, and in some of your translations it says he compelled his disciples to get into the boat to go before him to the other side. Why did he have to make them to get in the boat? I think, and I love what Andy Stanley says on this. Yeah, he had to make them get in the boat because they said, Whoa, 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 Jesus, we know last time you made us get in the boat. What happened, right? I'm not falling for that twice, you know. We've learned our lesson, but I'm not going to put myself... It says he had to make them get in the boat. <laughs> no, get in the boat. We're going to the other side. Are you sure, Jesus? And, and then this time he says, and I'm not even going with you. Whoa, 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 wait a second. At least we had to get you out of the boat last time, but now you're not even going to be with us. He made them get in the boat. They're like, okay, okay, okay. We'll get in the boat. And they went to the other side while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now, when evening had come, and it's always, why does it always happen in the evening, right? It, just in the middle of the day, at least, would be not quite as scary. But when evening had come, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at rowing for the wind. Here we go again. The wind was against them. Now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he would have passed them by. You see, he was not actually going to them. He was going on the other side. He was just going to pass them by. Hey, guys, we'll see it on the other side. Um, he had faith in them, and they're in the middle of the storm and the waves again and the wind, and, and he's just walking by them. And when they saw him, they supposed that it was a ghost, and they cried out, for they all saw him, and they were trouble they were afraid okay fear again they blew it again they hadn't learned from the last time there's Jesus again they see him um, now it doesn't mean that they didn't know it was him um, the ghost that they thought was maybe a ghost of Jesus but they knew it was Jesus and they they cried out and said uh, oh my gosh what is it and he saw them and immediately he talked with them and said to them again, be of good cheer. Don't be afraid. Take heart. Come on. Turn that frown into a smile. Just don't be afraid. Again, they had blown it. Once again, they were afraid. Now, wouldn't you have thought they would have learned Jesus in storms no contest. Jesus is going to take care of us. Um, as soon as they saw Jesus, instead of being afraid, they said, oh, thank Jesus is here again. So he went into the boat, and immediately the wind ceased. And again, here's their response. And they were greatly amazed. This awe, okay, it, it, it is astounded, but again, it was a fearful amazement at who it was. They already have gone through this again. And again, the response is this greater knowledge of Jesus drives out the fear. And this is what he said, for they had not understood about the loaves because their heart was hardened. Here's the key. How come we don't learn 
We come to church Sunday after Sunday. We hear the word. Many of us are Christians and, and over and over, and yet we fall into the same things. Fear comes again, right? And, and we deal with it over and over again. It says, because their heart was, not, was hardened, they didn't understand. In fact, they had saw something greater in the loaves that was even greater power, and they still didn't understand because their heart was hardened. We need to understand fear controls us many times because we let our heart get hardened. How does our heart get hardened? It is because many times we just continue to focus on the things of this world rather than letting the Holy Spirit be our focus. And we get hardened. The world hardens us. I'm going to tell you, the Spirit softens us. But the more we desire things of the world, See, here's the thing. We begin to love the world more than God. And the more you love the world, the more hardened your heart gets. It's harder to understand because to understand means to give up the world. To understand God and to experience that awe and fear of God. I think we know that we need to fear God. But even though we're afraid, it's hard to choose that because we still kind of like the things of the world. And at some point, it hardens us. We have to make a decision. One more time, after this, um, you might say, okay, second lesson learned, I learned. God, help us not to have hardened hearts. And yet, we see another time. The next time, um, they, they've passed all of these these trials and tests that Jesus has come. One more time, Jesus has now come into Jerusalem. It's Passover time. We all know this supper, last supper. Jesus tells them, hey guys, um, they're going to arrest me. And I'm going to have to die because this is the purpose why I've come. But don't be afraid because I'm going to be killed and and I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to rise again. And he, he had given them... He had said this over and over again. It's not like a one-time thing. He had given them kind of clues, but then finally it says in one portion that he just tells them straight out, I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And it still says their heart was hardened. Their heart was hardened. They didn't understand. Now, what in the world were they desiring more than Jesus? Here's what they were, they were twisting. They wanted Jesus to be the Messiah to set them free. To bring a new kingdom on earth right now. They wanted him to defeat the Romans. They didn't want to think about Jesus dying on the cross. No, they didn't accept that because they wanted it to work out the way they wanted. How many times we want to manipulate God? God, I'm going to follow you, but this is how I want you to work it out. And it doesn't always work out that way. And yet they just didn't understand. Even though he told them over and over again, this is what's going to happen. But then it happens, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas comes up, and we all know the story. He kisses Jesus, and the soldiers grab him. You might say, why did they have to betray him that way? Because Judas was the person to let them know the moment that he was not with a crowd. The reason Judas needed to betray him, they could never arrest Jesus because there was always a crowd around, and they would turn on them. The crowd would not let them arrest him. So they needed an inside person to let him know the moment that he was vulnerable. Uh, and so that's what Judas did. That you notice that he left the supper because he knew they were going to a secluded place. He said, "This is the time," 
And that's why he came and betrayed them. And in Mark 14, it says that Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. In other words, that's okay because this had to happen. No worries. No worries. This had to happen. But here's what happened. But they all, who's they? All the disciples forsook him and fled. Again, fear. Fear rises up within them and it controls them. And they run away. They leave their friend. Fear caused them to do something that they would have never done. They didn't want to do. In fact, over and over again, they said, Jesus, we will never, right? We will never leave. In fact, Jesus will go to the grave with you. Well, here was a good opportunity to do that. But nope, fear. They ran away. They ran away. Remember, we know the, 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 the principle that fear is driven out by a greater fear, but they had forgotten the greater fear. And so the lesser fear once again came up. But here's the thing, that greater fear, as long as your fear of God is only a fear that's similar to the fear of man, I'm just afraid of what God can do for me, there's just this, this uh, uh, fear, it is never going to truly sink in. Because here's this, this, this principle is true that a greater fear drives away the lesser fear. But how much greater is the fear when that greater fear is made up of love? See, here's the key. The fear, the greater fear cannot be a fear that is based on the same things as the world. Something bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. It is only when that greater fear is made up of love can the fear be switched to hope. And when the fear, the greater fear is actually love and hope, then your heart becomes changed. You see, we looked at the... Uh, we looked at this verse, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus taught them that. The greater fear, you better be afraid of God because he could send you to hell. That is a bigger fear and it will control us, but that cannot be the final greater fear. And we stopped there, but let's keep reading. Jesus didn't stop there. Here's how he kept going in this teaching. And unless our fear progresses to the next stop we will always deal with fear he asked him this question he says are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them in other words a sparrow's worth nothing a penny less than a penny and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will god knows and plans for the life of even a sparrow and he says and the very hairs of your head are numbered. So do not fear. There's that word again. Therefore. But why? Not because God could send you to hell. Not because you need to fear that. You need to understand that. But here's why we fear that. 
Because are you not more valuable than many sparrows? It's in here is the fear of God. You need to know that that same God who can speak to the waves and speak to the wind, the same God who can walk on the water past you, the same God who can multiply the loaves and provide when you are in need, the same God is not just a God of power to be feared, but he's a God who loves you and even cares about a hair that falls out of your head. It is the love of God that is the source of our fear of God. So it is when the fear of God becomes an absolute embracing love that, yes, I am afraid of God. There is an awe and a respect and a fear of God, but it is not based on my knowledge that something bad is going to happen. It is based on the knowledge that I can take my past experience with God, I can take what God has told me, and all that knowledge I can project in the future because I know what God has promised and I know what God has done. And that fear is a hope because God promises to be with me. God promises that he has a plan and a future for peace and not to harm. And when you have a fear of God that is grounded in the love of God, I'm going to tell you that is how you defeat the fear of this world. John later One of the disciples writes this as he learned his lesson. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment, expecting something bad. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. There's no torment when you become made perfect in love. That word perfect means complete. That you have come to know God. You've come to walk in a relationship with God where his love goes before you. And it says we love him because he first loved us. We need to know that he first loved us. There is a love that goes beyond anything you deserve and anything that you can do. You need to understand that he is going to love you whether you want him to or not. And that if you will embrace that, that is the greater fear. The fear that begins to be a fear of losing his love, the fear of, of, of disappointing my father, that I'm going to live my life filled with the love of God. So what's the outcome? They ran away in fear. Jesus was crucified, died. Now they're even more afraid. Well, here now, what? okay, we were the kind of group that the Pharisees hated already, And now our leader's gone. They're really going to come wipe us out. And so the third day came. We know Mary came and told them, guys, I've seen him. Jesus is alive. They didn't believe her. But it says in John 20, it says, the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So here they are again in their fear. Now they're afraid of the Jews. They're afraid of the, the mob going to come and kill them. They are, li- they are living in fear. But it says, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. 
And the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I want you to notice there's a slight change. Here's, this is again the third time they were afraid Jesus shows up. First two, they were afraid Jesus shows up, saves the day. They were even more afraid. They were afraid Jesus walks on the water, everything's saved. They were even more afraid. Here, they were afraid Jesus shows up. And now notice the difference. It does not say, and they were amazed or they were they feared exceed. It says, they were filled with joy. What's the difference? Why all of a sudden did they not fear God? Here's now, of all things, wouldn't they be even more afraid of him? He has risen from the dead. This is greater than, than stopping the storm or walking on the water. He has overcome death. But here's the difference. He said, touch my hands, touch my side. Do you see how much I love you? That I would die for you? That I have overcome death? That you may have peace? You see, love has taken over fear. And it says they were glad when they saw him. Whatever you're dealing with, where there is fear, we have got to begin to look to Jesus, but not just look to him, but to know him, to let him put his arms around us, to say, touch me, feel me, know that I care for you, and I'm still the one who has the power to speak whatever I want. You see, we still have the fear that knowing that God is the greatest power in this world you see, fear is not the boss of us because the almighty God of all the universe, the greater fear, is not just a greater fear, but he's a greater love. His greater fear is a love that loves us and gave himself for us, for you. When you begin to know him, to walk with him, to build a relationship with him, that love is the only greater fear that will ever let you overcome the fear of this world. So whatever you're afraid of, God's got it. And I know you can't overcome it yourself. But Jesus still says, do not fear. Not because he expects you to do it. Come on, just don't fear. He says, do not fear because I've got you. Because I'm the one that's going to do it. Don't fear because I got this. He doesn't say don't fear because you're going to make it. And you're going to do it. But know that I love you. That I care for you. And in that love, there is nothing greater. And the perfect love casts out fear. So that we can say to fear, you're not the boss of me anymore. Because my God rose from the dead. You see, our Redeemer who came to love us and to teach us and to show us how to live, did not just give us a, a, an outline of what to do. But he gave himself for us. And he rose again. And he is alive right now. Jesus is alive right now. It says, interceding for you. He is at the footstool of God the Father. And he knows what you're going through. And he is interceding for you. 
we can say to fear, you're not the boss of me. Because I've got a bigger boss. And Jesus is the boss of me. And I can allow Jesus to be the boss of me because I know he loves me. You know, there's some people, it's hard for us to give up control because we don't really know if they're going to do right for us. You can let Jesus be the boss of you because he loves you. And he cares for you. And he wants nothing more than you to experience life and life abundantly. So let's begin to let Jesus be the boss of us. And when that happens, fear is not the boss of us. Guilt is not the boss of us. Envy and greed is not the boss of us. Anger is not the boss of us. Jesus is the boss of me, and so therefore I have life abundantly. Let's pray.